This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 235 of the Dressage Radio Show, reigning into para-dressage. McCall from Jupiter, Florida, and this is Regina Cristo from Sands Lake, New York, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show, brought to you this week by the United States Para Equestrian Association, and we also have our producer, Coach Jen, with us. Hi, Hi Jen. Hi, guys. It's great to be back. Nice to hear from you again. So what are you doing for Thanksgiving? We are staying close to home. We have um, Glenn's brother lives in the same neighborhood as we do, so we're just going to literally walk down the street for Thanksgiving dinner and it will be nice and quiet and relaxing and I'm so looking forward to it. <laughs> and Regina, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? I am doing a lot of cooking. I'm going to have my usual 25 to 30 guests for dinner. Holy cow. Uh, yeah, it's a big uh, ordeal at our, our house and we have a lot of out-of-town relatives that will be here for days, so... A lot of cooking, cleaning, and preparing, and a lot of fun. How about you, Lindsay? Oh, I was afraid you'd ask. Uh-huh. You know, normally we normally we'd be back in Ohio with both families with you know the massive big Thanksgiving. But this year, we're just having some in laws come into town down here in Florida, and we'll have a little Florida Thanksgiving. <laughs> that so it should fun. be fun. <laughs> Yeah, you know, though, it is kind of odd to be in such a warm climate when it's supposed to be cold and you're supposed to feel like, oh, it's fall and there's snow coming because we're still in the 80s. (laughs) (laughs) We're still at the beach. (laughs) Turkey was meant to be eaten in a sweater. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Although I am getting very excited because I'm constantly seeing lots of horse trailers come down I-95 headed to Wellington. Yay. So I'm excited for the season to start. So that means it's fall. <laughs> so any any news with you, Regina, lately? Um, no, just muddling along. It's been really super nice weather up here in New York, actually. And um, I, I just did start a new uh, quest um, on a new horse search. So that's going to be fun. I think that'll probably have me traveling a little bit. And I'm um, getting ready to go to the USDF convention down in Lexington in a couple weeks. And uh, starting to get ready for the holidays. Awesome. Great. Well, I've been back and forth and with the horses up north. And my horse just unfortunately just, just had a little leg problem. So we're, we're working on that with the vet, of course. And um, me personally, I just got home from Oklahoma and Texas. We were in Oklahoma because para reining became, um, I guess, a, a newer sport, and the USA Reining decided to have para reining at the 2013 World Championships and AQHA World Championships. Sorry. And we were so excited because they asked three of our para dressage riders to join them and they brought forward some of the top FEI rainers in the world to work with our paradisage riders. 
and we had a actual show with an FBI four-star judge, and everything just came out so wonderfully. The reigning horses were great. The owners were amazing. The trainers were spectacular. We just had a really good time. We really enjoyed it. Oh, that sounds like such a blast. I was so disappointed that I had another commitment this past weekend that there was no way I could have gotten out of or would have been in trouble. But oh, I'm mm-hmm. sorry to have missed it, and I can't wait to uh, to be able to go to another one sometime. And you know what it made me realize? It, it wasn't about being with the tire dressage riders, and it wasn't about watching the rainers. It really what was great is the people at the raining events, the actual riders, are so helpful, and they're so friendly, and everybody wants to just come up to you and say hello and introduce themselves. And I enjoyed that for sure. And I, another thing I really enjoyed that I keep telling all of my friends out and all my family is how they are with their horses. They really treat their horses with kind respect. And I noticed that their trainer or training, I noticed that they're very good at training their horses to get used to everything. And one of my examples was we're walking through this little pathway and we had had one of our riders out of their wheelchairs and we left this, we left a wheelchair in a pathway. Well, here comes a rider riding his horse with a lead rope attached to a horse behind him that he's training. And he's coming up this little sidewalk, which is probably about four foot wide. He comes upon the handicapped chair, and I go, oh, I'm so sorry. Let me move that chair for you. And he says, no, no, it's okay. Could could you just move? So the people move out of the way, and he has about two and a half feet to get through. And he walks his horse and the second horse behind him through this little section right next to a wheelchair, and the horses could care less. I was like, I wish all of my horses were trained like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I turned that into an opportunity to uh, train his horses, which is so cool. I'm so happy everybody had a great time, and it's a wonderful thing, and I I think it's really going to catch on, and some of our para riders are going to look at how much fun that is and really want to be there. Oh, yeah. And then coming up, I head to California. We're having a paradisage symposium um, out in Winters, California, coming up literally this next week. And we'll have Clive there, Clive Milkins, who you'll hear later on the show today. And um, we'll have a couple other really great professionals in the paradisage world. Now, who else do we have on the show today? We have, I know we have Clive. Um, tell me a little bit about Brad coming up. He's coming up, too. Sure. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about him. So Brad's been in the business for a while. He's a rider himself. Um, he's also a horse owner. But lately, he's been really involved with his business, Horsepower Incorporated. He's, and it, they are late right now currently putting on the AQHA World Championship show. And what I think is really cool is he was the 2010 WAG World Equestrian Games reigning discipline director. I thought that is such a big deal because that was one of the first times really everybody saw raining on the world stage. Yeah. That's going to be an interesting conversation. We'll get started with Brad Edelman after this commercial from Equisketch. Glenn the Geek here. The life of horse person is hard enough, and we all hate doing the required paperwork, and unfortunately many of us never get around to it, and it just piles up on our desk. That is about to change thanks to the Equisketch Records app for your iPhone or iPad. My wife and I use it to track our horses, and we absolutely love this thing. 
Equisketch Records is the most thorough and complete equestrian records app on the market today. We love this app because you can track your farrier work, your dental, your Coggins, medicines, worming, and so much more. And you can get reminders on your device when all of these things are due. You'll never forget a worming or shots or farrier visit again. But it not only tracks your horse, you can also manage your horse shows, including individual events. You can manage riders, including lessons and memberships and so much more. And you can sync it between your iPhone and your iPad. And all of this for the price of a couple of cups of coffee from Starbucks. Search for Equisketch Records in the iOS App Store or go to Equisketch.com. That's E-Q-U-I-S-K-E-T-C-H.com. Equisketch.com. Hi, Brad. Thank you so much for coming on the show today with Regina and I. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. So, first of all, I kind of wanted to hop right into it and uh, talk to you about what happened this weekend with Tara Raining. Can you tell me a little bit about kind of what your thoughts were on the whole event? Sure, yeah. All of us at USA Raining are excited about how things went at the introductory para-raining event where we featured a classroom-style clinic, uh, a horse familiarization session, and then the following day, the first-ever raining demonstration class, which was judged by an FEI judge. Uh, We worked collectively with all the great people at the United States Para-Equestrian Association and brought in two stakeholder partners in the American Quarter Horse Association and the National Reining Horse Association. We all partnered and had our introductory vet event at the American Quarter Horse Association World Championship Show, which was a great venue for us, a huge platform with a lot of attention. And uh, uh, everything went really well. The U.S. Um, Para-Equestria Association brought us really great riders. We were able to find some really um, gentle and willing horses that are so common with the sport of reining anyway. And uh, the focus we got from the world show was um, unparalleled. So all in all, everybody in the United States at USA Reining um, feels like it was a huge, overwhelming success and a great way to kick off our efforts to promote para-reining uh, in the international movement. Oh, that's great. That's uh, right. This is Regina. Yeah, I was wondering... Um, how did people react when you first thought about doing this event and bringing the uh, para riders in? Um, were people a little bit leery? They didn't know what to think, and obviously the outcome um, sounds great. What, what were the people's first thoughts when you first talked about this? You know, nobody in my experience was leery at all, and I think uh, we have to give credence to the United States Para Equestrian Association for all of the great work they've done to raise awareness about a para, about para-equestrianism here in the United States. And also, you know, on the international stage, the FEI has really focused on um, para as a full-fledged, full-metal discipline. And so those who are in the know and those who would be stakeholders in, in our process are very familiar with para. Um, they've seen the benefits that it brings to horse and rider alike. And... Um, yeah, I think for those reasons, there was not one single person who didn't jump on board right away. We had a great response from um, not just our members, but also those who were involved from AQHA and NRHA. 
I personally really enjoyed being being there within the at the World Championships and noticing how people reacted and how other riders reacted to our to our paras. They were very willing to help, very willing to get involved, and they really understood where our equestrians kind of come from. So they didn't treat they didn't treat them like oh look at these poor little paras. They were like oh look at these athletes, look what they're trying to do. And I felt that they were very accepting and. They're more accepting than, than some places we've been, and I I really enjoyed that from them. I enjoyed that from the reigning community. I think you're right, Lindsay. I noticed the same thing um, in the bond between athletes. I think that the able-bodied athletes did not see um, the para-reigners uh, as disabled in any way. They were able to see, you know, as soon as they sat in the saddle, they were able to see that these were equestrians who knew what they were doing, um, the buttons and levers might have been a little different as they would be with any other discipline. But um, right away there was that athletic bond. And we at USA Reigning tried really hard to bring in our industry's most elite athletes, um, you know, former national champions, lots of world champions, to be a part of this. And I think that um, that commonality, that bond was there right away. But I also think even more than that, um, there's a lot of benefit for anyone being involved in this type of event. I mean, interacting with para equestrians is not something that even I was accustomed to, but it was a huge learning experience for me in a time where, you know, just when you think you've sort of learned it all about your sport to introduce a new component, a new set of people and, um, a new set of training for your horses, I think is really invigorating. It's a challenge. It's um, a very cool thing to watch. It's a heartfelt experience. And there was a lot of talk among our um, USA reigning board members and our USA reigning member athletes who were coaches and assisted with the program about that, like how good they felt about being a part of the introductory event. And so, the benefit is definitely, there's a duality there that's unquestionable. The benefit was definitely a two-way street. Yeah, that, that sounds wonderful. Um, I'm sorry I couldn't get out there for the event. You know, I like the fact that the um, athletes, whether they're the rating athletes or the para-athletes, you know, they were all on the same playing field, and they, you know, treat each other like athletes, and it, it's wonderful. You know, the disciplines are, are different, but they're kind of the same. I mean, we, everyone uses a lot of the same type of uh, basic training, and you you can tell with the, the rating horses, they're all very well trained. What did you think of when you had to match the riders with horses? How did you go about finding uh, horses that you thought would work? Yeah, that was a little more of a challenge than I expected, but uh, with Hope Hand there and with Lindsay McCall there, and we also had Tina Wentz, who's an FEI classifier, and she was very helpful, too. Um, well, I just started out by finding horses that I knew I could rely on, which is somewhat easy to do in the reining discipline. Um, it gets tossed around a lot, but it really is true that reining horses are like the Labradors of the horse world. They're very reliable. They're very consistent. They're very powerful and athletic, but they're very, very predictable in, in their behavior. And they're just sort of a, they're a calm sort of family horse that can happen to do can happen to be powerful enough to do an FEI-level sort of sport. And so it's a great combination. So you don't have to dig too deep among reigning horses to find horses that would be great for para-athletes. But it's like we've been saying, these people are athletes, so I feel like any level of horse 
um, they could match their ability just like in any discipline. So because we didn't really know a lot about the athletes prior to their arrival other than their grade level, we just tried to find the most reliable horses that would um, work for the introductory event and also represent our sport well, um, you know, because it was being live webcast and the media was paying attention. So um, once we got to the event, with the help of, of Hopan and Lindsay McCall and Tina Wentz, we were able to sort of sort out based on grade, okay, this rider's going to be really great for this horse. And there were a couple instances where we would get a rider up on a horse and then say, okay, this is not going to work. Let's try this horse over here instead. And a little bit like a jigsaw puzzle, we fit it all together, and it worked really well. I think everyone is really well matched in the end. And, of course, there were a couple instances where it was immediate. One that comes to mind is Rebecca Hart and her horse that was donated by Pete Kyle, who's the current uh, president of USA Reigning. As soon as she sat in the saddle, as soon as her coach, who's the you know one of the leading ranked FEI riders, uh, Lisa Coulter from Canada, as soon as they sort of saw that all come together, the horse was well-proportioned for Rebecca. They had sort of a, a common drive between them, and she, you know, took right off at the trot, and she was loping before long, and everybody just, you know, sort of instantly knew they were a match. Um, but some took a little more um, patchwork to get done, but I hope everyone agrees, but I think in the end, all of the horses and riders were really well-suited for each other. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's very cool because in the carriage dressage world, um, I'm a horse owner that has loaned my horse several times, and I know other uh, owners, too, to have somebody donate their horse. But it's really hard for para riders to find horses of their own or horses to lease um, because you have to make that match, and they have to have a connection. And if you've been around horses long enough, you can do that for days until you find something. So it's really cool that the reigning horses are have such great character that you you guys really put a fit together quite quickly and uh, it seemed like everyone had a great time and it was successful. Yeah, I think I mean one of the things we really pride ourselves on in the sport of reigning is that our horses, which by and large are American quarter horses, our horses are the types of horses that we can take to an FEI level competition and then trailer home and have your kids ride them on the weekends. Like that's, <laughs> we take a lot of pride in that sort of kind of horse and um, it lends it lends itself really well to the sort of um, event that we did. So Brad, you've been, you're a rider yourself and obviously that really helps with everything you do, but I know you do a lot of managing, such as in 2010, you did the World Equestrian Games, you're the discipline manager. Tell me a little bit about what you do and what, kind of what you're doing now. Yeah, so um, I work with a company, it's actually my own small business called Horsepower Incorporated, and um in the year 2000, Rain was brought in as a full metal discipline um, in the FEI family of disciplines. And then some years later, I, after managing a lot of breed shows like quarter horse shows, and um, I was at the National Western Stock Show in Denver, Colorado for 12 years as their horse show manager, um, the FEI component really got my attention um, because that's, I mean, like everyone knows on this call, that's the the absolute most elite level of our sport. And it brings a great sort of feeling of internationalism to it. And, and um, so 
so I was interested in that. And so I shifted my focus um, towards FEI reining, and I got in at a great time where reining was really on a steep um, growth curve. And so because I positioned myself fairly well, it's actually come to be that um, we're the leading entity of FEI reining production, you know, event production around the world. And so um, we actively work with the FEI and with the national federations to secure contracts to come in and, and host and produce their national championships or to produce FEI um, international level championships as well. And so that's our main focus. That's what Horsepower does, and that's what I spend the majority of my time doing. But I also serve on the board of directors of USA Reigning, and uh, I'm the acting executive director, so the administration of our affiliate falls on my shorter shoulders and is done within the within the office of Horsepower using our resources. Um, so a lot of time gets spent on that. But I also volunteer my time um, with events like the North American Junior and Young Rider Championships because I feel so strongly about the future of sport, just like anyone would in all of the disciplines. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the focus is FEI reigning. Um, I've definitely carved out a niche for myself that seems to be working. And as the sport enjoys growth, so has my task list. And so, yeah, it's been great. It's a, it's a really great lifestyle. And what have you seen with working on the board at USEF and I, like within all of the disciplines, kind of what have you seen or what, is, what do you get back from working with all those different disciplines? Yeah, serving on the board of directors in USEF, I serve um, with Hope Hand and uh, a collection of really great equestrians on that board. Um, serving on that board has really been great for me. Um, because while I have always appreciated all types of horses and all disciplines of horse sport, it's really taught me to really um, see that discipline through the eyes of the enthusiast or the athlete of that sport. So that, you know, we're not always talking about reigning in those board meetings. As a matter of fact, we seldom talk about reigning compared to some of the other larger disciplines. Um, so it's really taught me, A, that, you know, every discipline, while it does feel like a subculture, is interconnected, and each and every one of the participants and enthusiasts and athletes in that discipline, you know, they just love their horses and they love their sport. That's been a really valuable lesson for me. Um, it also taught, it teaches me about, um, you know, working together, and that's teamwork's never been a problem for me. I enjoy team atmosphere. I enjoy the, those sort of settings. Uh, but at the USCF Board of Directors level, sometimes you have to set aside your personal ambitions and your personal desires for your discipline, for your sport, in order to better advance horse sport in our nation. And that's the ultimate goal. That's the responsibility of every good board member at the USCF level. And uh, we have to do that more often than I expected, but it's a good practice. And it's, um, it's you know, what's good for the equestrian community in the U.S. is good for all parts of that equestrian community. And so I enjoy that sort of um, team atmosphere and working together with, with all the other disciplines. That's great. And, uh, Brad, what do you see for the, the near future and maybe the far future of, uh, para rating? What are your thoughts? Do you think this is something that we can make happen in, uh, in our country? I really do. I don't have any loss of confidence when I think about para reigning becoming, you know, uh, a great sort of stable thing. Um, 
the way we've laid it out is, you know, post this introductory event that we've talked so much about, all of the 2014 competition year will be used as a fact-gathering year and an observation year. We'll conduct um, partnering with organizations like the NRHA and the AQHA. We'll conduct para-reigning classes um, using the the draft rules and the rules that we've laid out all of 2014, and we'll actively seek out um, feedback from the participants and from people in the know um, to tell us, okay, well, these parts work and these parts don't work. We need to get rid of these things and we need to keep these things. So we can gather as much information as we possibly can in 2014, making the next set of rules even better and then, you know, and so on, continue that tradition forward. But in working with our um, with our partners, and both NRHA and AQHA are founding sponsors of USA Reining, um, and they both have great programs. Uh, the NRHA, for example, has a new program they just launched called Adaptive Reining, which is specialized towards uh, disabled riders. And the American Quarter Horse Association has an existing and thriving program called Equestrians with Disabilities. And so through this effort, we were able to bring NRHA into the fold um, with para-reining, and we were, we were able to partner with AQHA, who then added reining as one of their disciplines, in addition to some of the other things they were doing with equestrians with disabilities. And so um, going to the uh, already approved NRHA events and the already approved AQHA events and adding um, para-reining allows us a platform to sort of sprinkle these classes across the nation in an existing, already successful program. And then uh, collecting the feedback from those classes and pushing forward, um, we're all feeling very strongly that, A, there are people out there that are interested. We know that there are people out there that are interested that have, that have reached out to us. And, B, that we have a good path forward and we have a plan that we all believe in. Um, we're all excited. We don't think there's any reason why para-reigning won't take off and become a very supportive discipline within your para-structure. I agree, Brad, and it, it's been a pleasure to watch para-reigning over this weekend, and it's nice to hear that you guys have such a pipeline starting from the grassroots to really build this, and I really think that there's a big future internationally for para-reigning, and you know, overseas, and really everywhere, and well, I really want to thank you for coming on this show today and talking to us a little bit about the, the new discipline out there, and I know Regina as well thanks you, and Thank you so much. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, and thanks for all your support in launching this great program. That was great talking with Brad. Up next, we're going to have Clive Milkins, right after a commercial from EasySignsOnline.com. <laughs> With Christmas season fast approaching, it's time to start planning a custom gift that will last for many years to come. Visit our friends at ezsignsonline.com 
and browse their unique website for their many custom sign options and styles. With affordable prices for customized signs starting at $39.95, your holiday gift giving just got easier. Their step-by-step online sign ordering process allows you to choose only the sign options you want and see all the pricing up front. From horse farm entrance signs, vinyl banners, magnetic vehicle signs to stall nameplates, and much, much more for every horse owner. They ship to every state in the U.S., so take advantage of an additional 10% off coupon to all Horse Radio Network listeners. Simply mention HRN13 when ordering. That's HRN13, a $75 order minimum for discount. Cannot be combined with other discounts or coupons. Free shipping also applies to most sign orders, so see the website for details. Place your order early to allow plenty of time for Christmas delivery. Check out the website today at ezsignsonline.com. That's ezsignsonline.com or call them at 1-800-640-8180. That's 1-800-640-8180. Thank you so much for coming on the show today with Regina and I. No problem at all. It's a pleasure to be here. So I know you're over here in the States. Uh, you're currently in Maine, and then you head to California. And what are you doing in Maine? Uh, well, at the moment, I'm sat on the beachfront of Portland enjoying your beautiful seafood. But I've actually been here running a clinic for three days, helping up-and-coming do- Developing American riders. And um, are those also able-bodied and paradressage riders? Yes, I've been helping coaches, able-bodied riders, and mainly with my expertise, I've been helping the young para riders. <laughs> Lovely. And, and what is your experience? Have you enjoyed it? Oh, believe me, the American hospitality and the American riders have been absolutely fantastic. I've thoroughly enjoyed every minute of it. Well, that's great, Clive, and Maine is a beautiful place to be, isn't it? It's gorgeous. I'm, uh, I'm sad I've missed your fall, but actually the weather has been fantastic, and yeah, I'm, uh, the scenery has been beautiful. Well, I hope you head to California soon because it's going to get cold up there. So uh, <laughs> we're happy to have you on the show, and I'm sorry we've never had a chance to meet with all our Paris stuff. Um, can you tell me a little bit about you compared the uh, para riding and the para training in um, over in your homeland in England to what we do in the United States? Well, uh, you do very similar things, really. I mean, we're a lot more organized by our national governing body, um, but it's it, it's very similar in the the first thing the riders do is get profiled by the classifiers, and then it's a case of training and competing, and those that are good enough start competing on national teams, and we go from there. And how long have you been uh, coaching over in England? Um, over 20 years. Wow. I've been, I've been running a therapeutic riding center now for, yeah, just like 22 years. And Clive, over with the, with, at the clinic, how are you, I guess, looking at certain riders? What are some techniques you're using with riders such as a grade 1A rider. Are there specific techniques that you use with them? No. I'm a firm believer that riding is riding because horses don't discriminate. So therefore, as far as I'm concerned, everything is about your seat, your spine, and your head. So it's about rhythm, tempo, straightness, balance, and harmony with the horse. 
and therefore communication. Now, what would be some suggestions or advice, Clive, that you could give uh, para-writers, you know, especially in this country, which the country is so big, and uh, para-writers who are trying to find a coach or a trainer, and they don't know sometimes how to quite go about it, um, you know, finding a probably an able-bodied coach or trainer. What would be some, some suggestions that the uh, the writers could, could use? The first thing I'd say to any para-writer is have a tongue in your head and know what you really want. Because any good coach of able-bodied riders should be able to listen to the needs, wants, desires, and drives of our para-riders. And when the para-riders can say, this is what they want, the able-bodied coaches have plenty of avenues to go down to learn how to help them. Yeah, I agree. I, I also think that the riders need to do a little bit of homework um, before they approach, you know, talking to a trainer and give the trainer, you know, the information on what their goals are, what, what para is about. Um, cause sometimes I think it could be overwhelming to a trainer when they hear para dressage that they might mm. say, oh, I'm not qualified yeah. to do it. Um, so I think being prepared as a rider uh, when you approach a, a potential trainer is important. Totally. Couldn't agree with more. Because at the end of the day, it's the riders who win the medals, the rest of us are support staff. And we have a saying in Great Britain that says, the front of the medal belongs to the athlete. It's only the back of the, the medal, which nobody ever sees, that belongs to the support staff that help them get there. I love that. I love that quote. And I noticed when we were talking about finding a trainer, I'd like to also know, I guess, how we find that horse that a rider really needs. What is your take on finding a, a great horse for a pair of dressage rider? There is a problem here that I just love horses. So therefore, any horse that is willing and honest and understands the complications a rider might have, and they can all understand to a certain extent, any horse is a good horse to start upon. And the way I describe it is you never learn to drive in a Formula One racing car. You always start in the beat-up cars, and you, as you improve, you swap your cars over. And at the end of the day, I'm, after doing this for over 20 years, the right horses always appear at the right time. And what about what about aids? How do you how how does a trainer go about teaching a horse that a rider such as a rider without legs needs to use whips? How do you work with that? Can I tell Can I tell you a secret? And no one's listening. I've never sure. taught I've never taught a horse any differently to I teach my able-bodied horses. And I've now used five able-bodied Grand Prix horses and trained them to international para-level grade 1A. And all I've ever chosen are horses that are honest and sweet so that when a rider goes into spasm or the leg flicks back or the hand does a peculiar thing, the horse goes, you know what, that wasn't an aid, that was just an accident. Never mind, I'll carry on because I know what I'm doing. Don't tell the British riders I've just told you that secret. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we all know that some horses are true gems, and they will do yeah. exactly what you are, are talking about. 
And just yeah. a question about, um, you know, lower-level uh, grades and, you know, that possibly will only do walking and trotting. How important is it for the horse to actually be schooled in all three gates and doing maybe some advanced movements um, to be able to really excel just doing walk and trot? Is that is that something uh, you would do, tra- you know, like to have the horse fully trained? Oh, yes. Um, my latest horse, Junior 06, who is current Paralympic and European champion, I mean, you will see me in warm-up arenas riding him through temper changes to his counter-half party because, A, I think good dressage is about gymnasticizing our horses and making them pliable. So, therefore, flying changes and half-passes are just exercises that we use. So that's the first thing. And I think, secondly, the horses that we used to do those exercises, they enjoy doing them because they're fun. So, so actually, if we let the horses have a bit of fun and, and we play with them um, without putting them under pressure, they go back to their walking job really, really sweetly and very honestly. I have a training question, Clive. I noticed you worked really hard with a um, beginning rider about getting straight down that center line. How do yeah. you how do you really get a horse centered? Get down that line straight and don't don't shake or jiggle or or move in any way. Um, that's a really interesting question. I do so many center lines with my horses, and I never ever ride on the track. So I'm always riding one meter in from the track the whole time. So the horses again don't tell anyone, but it's a little bit of a party trick. Because if the horses are just used to going straight as a die down the centre line, and you I was been accused this week of being the shoulder police. So, as far as I'm concerned, every single horse... It, it, I know the German scales of training sometimes talk about suppleness before straightness, but I am a firm believer that a horse must be straight, and our riders must learn what straight is first. And once the horse is set up down the centre line... They know their job at the end of the day, and they just keep going until the ride comes to Yeah, Clive, and that's appropriate for uh, able-bodied dressage, regular, uh, uh, excuse me, paradressage, you know, straight is straight. Absolutely. And if you talk to any dressage judge who sits at only at sea, when you come down the centre line, the only thing the judge can really see is straightness. And why aren't we in overbody tests getting nines and tens for our dresser? To rhythm, straightness, tempo, and the balance of the horse. It chooses you about flashy gates and expensive leg lines and power and impulsion. And for me, your ordinary horse can do a very good job if the basics are trained correctly. That's great. And let me ask you this, Clive. Um... Obviously, uh, the United States is a huge country, especially compared to, you know, the countries in Europe, which you can bop around much easier. Um, it, yeah. it just seems kind of be an obstacle um, in the para world because it is so big and spread out, and there is just riders all over. And I know you've traveled around the country enough. What would be some suggestions on just how to make it feel like it's smaller and a smaller community? Um, for the para riders to work together? Because it's difficult, and financially, it's a burden. Yes, I totally agree with you. For me, the best invention in the world has been Facebook, because all my riders talk to each other constantly on Facebook, wherever they are in the country. And although England is very small, I still have riders who travel 
four or five hours for a lesson with me two or three times a week. So I, I do understand your challenges, but I do a lot of coaching via Facebook. I do a lot of video analysis. And, and, and the other thing that I do very much is I really am a firm believer that the coaches should be the ones who do the traveling to save the horses. So if the coaches travel from place to place, and the riders work on test riding, because if you're an actor, you would rehearse and rehearse and rehearse. And if you do an exam, once you've learned the knowledge, you then revise and revise and revise before you do a test. So the devil is in the detail, and the real key here is the riders practice, practice, practice the school movements, the shapes, and then the coaches only have to come in and drop the eyes and cross the teeth. I think that's a really great idea to have, with our country being so big, have the coach travel to our riders. Now, what about with our riders, getting them to work together as a team? What would be your suggestion there? I would uh, a lot of time on the phone, a lot of time on Facebook. Um, and I think one of the things that I deep believe in is transferability of skills, so you can swap on and off horses. So there's no reason why riders can't travel for a weekend to a good venue that has got safe, reliable horses like Carlisle Academy and, and maybe accept the horses aren't world beaters, but just train together on different horses, swap ideas, talk on Facebook. The one thing that we all do, whether we like it or not, is we all do communicate and therefore Sometimes we communicate by not communicating, and that's crazy to me. So as long as somebody sends me a message on Facebook or they send each other a message on Facebook, you are communicating, you are swapping ideas, you are making the world smaller, and that is very important to me, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, and all the other sort of stuff, social media sites that are out there. And of course, radio shows like this, bringing people together. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Let me ask you, Clive, what did you think of uh, the para-raining that just went on this past weekend? Did you hear about it? Yes, I heard about it, and um, the best I can say is it's not really my field. I stick <laughs> to the walking stuff, um, but I, I think any, any sport that integrates disabled athletes with able-bodied athletes so we all start to understand each other's challenges and the things that we actually make us all part of, you know, the one thing about the human race, the one thing we, that every single person is unique, whether they're able-bodied or disabled, and the one thing we all share is that we are all unique. And therefore, any sport that gets people working together, learning together, having fun together, makes the world a, a smaller and happier place. You're the gold medal um, coach for Sophie Christensen, and I have to know how you two worked together and how you guys prepared together before London and before she won her medals. We'll kind of run through maybe a week or somehow oh, maybe a year of how, train, how much training you guys did together. Um, I was part of the horse. Sophie rides with me and it's competition four or five times a week. So I do everything with the horse because it's her disability 
precludes that. And also she needs to hold down a job in order to, to pay me, basically. So we spend a lot of time on Facebook and text messaging. And when we train in the year running up to the Olympics, we test road and test road and test road. And we went to venue after venue after venue and we rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed. And that included arenas by the side of a road or arenas where a goat would run through it or arenas that were the wrong size in order that we, we, what we did was we played the what if game. So that what if this goes wrong? What if that goes wrong? So that by the time we got to the games, we knew we could handle absolutely anything. And it's the real strong thing with Sophie and I is our friendship, teamwork, and total confidence and belief that each one of us will do our own jobs. That's really smart to be working on all of those items that could have gone wrong. And I really think it, it proved your training and both of you guys working together to see her at the Paralympics and not be phased by a sold-out audience and not be phased mm. by the movement mm. around the ring. It really tells us a lot about you guys. Well, we, we should have, from experiences at Wedding Kentucky, where, and, you know, we know what it's like to be in quite a close stadium environment and at the end of the, the day if your horse spooks at a giant screen or doesn't like a flower pot at the letter M as absolutely if, if you don't get it down the centre line you're not going to win so surely training that sort of side of things or at least having the confidence to know that your horse isn't going to spook must be part of your training it's that confidence so that when you go down the arena, you know you all you would do is steer the horse through a set of geometric shapes. And I would always say that if anybody looks at my Facebook page, there's a photograph that says, um, the London Games were just another day in the office. Because A, was all, a is in the same place as it's always been. So it was no big deal, really. Just a practice run. You must have been very proud in London last year. We were there yeah. to... Uh to support the U.S. and watch you guys. We were really happy for you. You know, yeah. one final word. Um, I know the riders that you work with in this country, especially the para riders, um, just adore you and are, are so happy that you're here. What would be a final word of advice uh, moving forward toward WEG this coming year um, to our U.S. riders? Have fun, enjoy the learning, and go and have the greatest experience of your lives. Excellent. Well, that sounds great. Well, Clive, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to Lindsay and I tonight. We really appreciate it. We're, we're happier in, uh, in the U.S. right now and um, had a great time in Maine and have safe travels to California and uh, teach us everything you know. Thank you very much. I'll do my best. Thank you, Clive, for being on our show today. Uh, it was a great show overall. We appreciate our guests. And we look forward to uh, being on again next month. You can find our show notes and links to today's guests on the website at dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search for Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horace Radio. And you can learn more about the United States Para Equestrian Association at USPEA.org. And of course, always on Facebook. And don't forget to check out all of the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. And remember, one man's wrong lead is another man's cat.
Pounder Canner. <gasps> Ooh, I like that one. Thanks a lot, ladies. We'll see you next time. 